ask God to help you stay focused on the step study tonight. Is everybody ready? Let's start the meditation. Right here. 
God, that your love shines through me like a fog light, that those who are lost, sick, and dying can find your love through me. There is a solution from the big book, page 17. The tremendous, tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news to this book who carries the, this is the, this is great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. I've asked Todd to read Spiritual Experience. We read this notice because the main purpose of this 12 steps is to have one. So it is kind of important to know what one is. Spiritual experience. The term spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book. Upon careful reading, shows that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself, manifested itself among us in many different forms. Yet, it is true that our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personal, personality changes or religious experiences must be in a nature of sudden and spectacular upheavals. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. In the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described, though it was not our intention to create such an impression. Many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness, followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of our experiences are what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life, that such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped into an unsuspected inner resource which they presently identify as their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Most of us think this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of a spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it God consciousness. Most emphatically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance and belligerent denial. We find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of this program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are, are the essentials of recovery, but these are indis indispensable. There is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. Herbert Spencer, Alcoholics Anonymous, page 567 and 568. Please refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down. This is a tech-free meeting, so set your phones to airplane or meeting mode or just turn them off. This is where I introduce Pat. Um, so 
I actually called Pat randomly. I always like had a, looked up to him along the way of my sobriety. And uh, one time I needed help and I reached out to him and he showed me the way. Um, he has a great message and I'm looking forward to what he has tonight. Welcome, Pat. Thanks to the 12 Steps of Alcoholics Anonymous outlined in this big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, which is the program of AA, uh, I have recovered uh, from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. And for that, I'll be forever grateful. Uh, AA didn't just save my life, but it surely gave me a new life and uh, pretty much enjoying this new life, you know? Not why I got, not why I came here, by the way. I came here to get my old life back. <laughs> and, uh, and I was given something, something totally different and totally unexpected. And, you know, I, I was driving today, and uh, we were talking before the meeting how scary this shit is, you know, uh, speaking, and mostly uh, way before I get up here. I have this committee that gathers and tries to create a talk that I'm going to have that, that never happens, you know, that, when they say there's the three talks, the one I was going to have, the one I had, and the one I should have had, you know, and uh, the one on the way here, the one I have, and the one on the way home. But I, I wrote down two words today and, uh, that have been really weighing on me, and, and the one was desperate. The one was desperate. You know, we, we landed last time I was here a couple weeks ago on the third step, and we talked a little bit about the third step. And, and I was thinking when I got here uh, how desperate I was and, and, and that I didn't have any trouble when you guys mentioned the God word. You know what I mean? Like, I wasn't that guy. I wasn't... It didn't matter what you mentioned, I didn't have a problem with it. You know, I was just, like, desperate. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I, it wasn't like I got up and my life was going really good and everything was moving along real well, and I thought, you know, I just want to better my life. You know, I, I think I'll go to AA. You know, I, I, I didn't know what else to do. <laughs> I really didn't. I, and, and if it hadn't been for my sister being in AA, I don't know what fellowship I would have ended up in. I don't know. And uh, maybe Hare Krishna or something like that. I don't know. Uh, I, you know, I'd been to church years before, and I, you know, I wasn't my thing. You know, they didn't behave like I did, so I separated from them. But, uh, you know, I, I, I remember uh, being in the hotel room, and, I, and I've said this a, a ton of times. Anytime, probably every week, I'm here. That if alcohol and drugs still worked, I'd still be doing it. That's just a fact. That's just a fact. You know, uh, it, it didn't. It stopped working. It stopped. Uh, it stopped giving me absolution. It stopped fixing whatever was going on internally, and and uh, and I found myself in a hotel room uh, after assaulting my wife in front of my two kids, uh, pondering suicide again. You know, and and I had attempted that a couple of years before, and uh, it didn't go well, and and I did not have the guts to take myself out. I was I was sitting in a hotel room, desperately trying to get up the courage to just end it. You know, I, I always say that I, I think most alcoholics and addicts are not afraid of, of, of death. They're afraid of life, you know. Life is scary, man. Life is painful, you know. What's, Scott Peck, his first words in The Road Less Traveled, life is difficult, <laughs> you know. And it's just, uh, I didn't want to feel anymore. And, and, and that's still, by the way, uh, that's still, by the way, my, my demon is, is emotions. And I'm, that's, that's still what I'm always working on is those emotions. But, I, but what, what came to mind, and I've never told this story before, and I, I don't know why it came to, to mind, 
is I'm in this hotel room for three weeks uh, trying to drink myself to death. And, and I'm just drinking to pass out, to get up to drink to pass out. And, and then I decide to go to Brady's Lounge and, and meet with my group conscious. And, uh, you know, we all have them guys, right, the, the, our support group, you know. And, and, I'm, and I'm sitting around with the group conscious uh, for three or four hours, and, and we all decide what I should do is go and go home, because it's my house, damn it. You know, I mean, it's my house, right? I mean, I, and, and they said, you know, just proclaim that you are the king of this castle. And, that, and if the bitch doesn't like her, just tell her to get out, you know? And that's the decision that this group conscious came up with, right? And I decided to do that, right? And she wasn't there, so I just entered the house. You know, now I hadn't been home for three weeks, right? So I'm in the house, and she must have drove by and saw that I was there and, uh, and decided to call the Coral Springs Police Department. And, uh, and, and apparently she must have mentioned that I was armed. And uh, the, I didn't know the Coral Springs Police car, uh, Department had that many cars. <laughs> I mean, there were SWAT teams. There were, you know, the loudspeaker. You know, how with your hands up, you know, and I'm thinking, I'm peeking out the window going, you got to be freaking kidding me. What the hell is that? Like, you know, me who thinks so highly of ourselves, right? Like, I think I'm a pretty good guy, you know, and I got the freaking neighbors all looking out there one like there's freaking SWAT teams out there, you know, and, uh, and I come out and, I, and that was the, the day that I was, uh, the restraining order was slapped on and I was arrested and charged with assault and battery and and the beginning of the end or the beginning of the beginning, depending on your perception of this whole deal, uh, obviously it was the beginning of a new beginning. Uh, and, and I was like, I didn't know where else to go, you know, and I ended here. And, and the reason I'm even saying that is because, uh, you know, I always like to quote William James who says, there's two requirements for a spiritual experience or a spiritual awakening, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and, and, and that is facing an insurmountable obstacle and, and the second requirement is, is seeking a power greater than human power to solve the problem, right? And I was facing an insurmountable obstacle. <laughs> you know, I was like, I don't know what else to do. Sister, please help me. You know, take me somewhere. Take me to one of those damn ANA, AAA meetings, whatever that is you go to, you know? And I didn't, I didn't have a problem uh, with this turning my will and my life over, but... But I could see where people do, you know. Uh, and the reason why I didn't have a problem because I didn't have any other option, right? I, I, didn't, I, I couldn't go back to where I was. Because to go back to where I was is contemplating suicide again. Drinking's not working anymore. And so when, when you're talking about turning my will and my life over to care of God, I don't even know what that means, but okay. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'm in. And, and we, I talked about last week where they, you know, they, the conversation kind of, two weeks ago, the conversation kind of changed from the mental and physical aspect, you know, what it means to be powerless, this choice and control issue, the inability to choose to stay stopped and the inability to control it once I start. You know, that, I mean, that's just, that defines being powerless. And, uh, and here I am turning my thoughts and my actions over to the care of God as I understood him, you know, my whole life being a sum total of every action I've taken, every action being born in thought, if I could change what's going on up in here, 
maybe I can change my life. Maybe I can overcome this torment that I'm freaking suffering from. And, and that, to me, is alcoholism. You know, I mean, I'm stone cold sober in the rooms, and I'm dying. I'm absolutely dying inside. You know, and, and how long can I do this? How long can I feel like this before I have to medicate? And, and so last, uh, two weeks ago, we talked about what that means, and, it, and the conversation switched to behavior, that what's killing me is that I'm selfish and I'm self-centered and I'm driven. I'm driven. You know, I'm driven by a hundred forms of self-pity, self-delusion, fear, hundred forms of fear, self-pity, self-delusion. And I'm driven. Like, I don't even have a choice. See, I like the word he used there. I don't know why that stood out to me today when I was thinking about this step, that, that, I'm, that I'm driven by self-will. Driven by it. You know, self-will run riot, it says, you know. Self-will run riot. Which means that I'm demanding, and we talked about these instinctual drives, I'm demanding more attention than I'm due. I'm demanding more respect than I, do, than I deserve. Uh, I'm demanding more material success than I deserve. And I'm demanding sex like it's a medicine, you know, like, it, like it's a drug, you know. And, that, and then when they're talking about self-will-run riot, that I've taken these God-given instincts, good instincts, God-given instincts, and I've taken them to an extreme and, and medicating with them, you know, using them uh, to feel better about myself. I'm, I'm, they're driving me. I'm not even, I'm driven by them. I'm not even like choosing to do something to get attention. I'm just naturally a liar. I'm just naturally being something that I'm not so that you'll like me. You know, this fake self that I created, you know, that I want everybody to see. One of the things I read recently, it says, we are who we are in the dark. Everything else is reputation. God knows me in the dark. God knows me alone in the darkness of my room. Everything you know about me is just reputation. It's what I want you to know. It's what I've created. It's what I put it. Now, this program has made me somewhat... What's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> it has exposed <laughs> my defects of character because it's just these step series just do that. You know? and, uh, but that's, that's what's killing me. And it, it's, 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 if we don't do something about these instinctual drives. We don't reel these instinctual drives down. This conflict that it's creating spiritually, mentally, and physically, it's going to kill me. That's what's killing It's telling me that's what's killing me. Above all, we must be rid of this selfishness. We must or it kills us. Because the conflict is what's killing me. Dodd and I were talking about that on the way over here. My life is all about... How do I eliminate conflict in my life? I don't do conflict well. I don't emotion. I don't. Em, I don't do emotions well. <laughs> you know, I, I. I hate. I hate feelings. I. I really do. I mean, I. I emotion. You know what I mean? Like, I don't. Ju- I don't just feel an emotion. I emotion. You know, like it's like I overfeel it. You know, on on both ends of the spectrum. You know, I mean, I, I'm either codependent or f you. You know what I mean? It's like there's no in between. You know, there's no middle of the road. You know. It's just, I, I don't, you know, I'm either a piece of shit 
or I'm better than you. You know, one or the other. It's just I can't find that sweet spot. I can't find that middle. You know, and that's what that's what kills me about my third step is that every thought before it's an action turns to an emotion, and that's a problem, right? Because the emotion is usually based on a lie. How you said it, how I think you said it, what I think you meant, your attitude when you said it, your posture when you said it, you know, where you said it from, you know. I mean, I've got all this shit that goes on in my head before I take an action, you know, and it's just freaking alcoholic insanity, alcoholic insanity, you know. Give me a bottle of Boone's Farm and I'm fine, you know what I mean? Like, give me a couple of drinks and I'm, you know, I go from Pee Wee to John Travolta, you know what I mean? It's like, but I don't, I don't. I don't do life well without medication. <laughs> I just don't. So I, this is what's creating the conflict in my life. My demands on other people, my unhealthy demands on everybody around me. I just can't seem to find happiness. Uh, I can't seem to be in charge of my instinctual drives. They seem to be driving me. I love that word. I don't know why I never noticed it before. Driven by them. You know, they're driving me. They're controlling my life. I don't even have a choice in the matter. I instinctively lie. I instinctively take the easier path. I instinctively take the more money. I don't even look what the job is. Is it more money? I'll take it. You know? Oh, I got to do that. Holy shit, I didn't know that. You know? I instinctively sleep with them. I don't even know who they are. I don't know anything about them. I don't think I had a, a normal relationship until I was 16 years sober. I think up until that point I had been chasing body parts, not people. I mean, that's sad. <laughs> that's really sad. I mean, if you'll sleep with me, I'll marry you. Then we'll figure it out. Yeah. And a couple months later, you find out they snore, and you go, holy shit, what's up with that? You get to know them, and you go, what the hell am I doing here? Then you run, and I run. You know? God makes that possible is the next word. And there often seems no way of entirely getting rid of self without his aid. You know? I can't do it. You know? I, can't get, I can't overcome these desires on my own. And, we're, and, and look, I think... This is the start of where everything is leading to six and seven. And then I think everything leads back there, <laughs> you know, except for eight and nine stuck in there where we go out and we eliminate the conflict with the human, the human race. It seems to me that everything is leading to exposing the truth about my appetites, about my perversion of these instinctual drives, my need to satisfy these drives. And it landed me, it lands us at the third. And that's where we landed the last time I was here at the third step, that what the third step actually is. And, and let's remember that this is a decision. Not to be taken lightly, but it's just a decision. Right? And the decision is that playing God didn't work. That me running my life hasn't worked. You know, me, my thinking is broken. My alcoholism is right here. Alcohol is my solution, but the problem centers in the mind. I mean, I got a 20-year history. It says every time you pick up a drink or a drug, shit goes bad. 20-year history, if I look back. But 
But at some point, the emotions become so overwhelming that I put all that to the side and I pick up a drink and try the experiment again. So it's not a physical issue, it's a mental issue. Now granted, once I put the drink in my body, I have no choice in the matter. I'm off to the races. But that's where insanity and alcoholism come together, right? Stone cold sober. Stone cold sober, my best frame of mind. Not a, not a substance in my system. I make the decision to try this freaking experiment again. With all the trickage and tragedy that has taken place behind me, I decide to try it again. That's alcoholic insanity. I had to quit playing God. Next, we decided that hereafter in the drama of life, God was going to be our director. He's the principal. We are the agents. He's the father. We are his children. Most good ideas are simple, and this concept was the keystone of this new and triumphant arch to which we were going to pass the freedom. This is the structure we're building, you know, the bedrock being that bottom, that, that bedrock being that desperation. I hear Pete say it all the time, that gift, right? I mean, we look back in hindsight, we look back, it's a gift. You know. But when I got here, I was just desperate, just desperate. That being the bedrock of this foundation, and then this willingness to believe being these cornerstones, and then the keystone that's going to hold this structure together is this new position that I'm going to take, that I'm going to attempt to live by spiritual principles. I'm going to attempt to see what God's will is for me and my use of these instinctual drives. What, I always think of Dr. Bob when I think of that. You know, What would the master do? That was Bob's litmus test, right? That was his litmus test. Anytime they were conflicted, what would the master do? I always think about Bob being so against women coming into the program. Can you imagine? Spiritual Dr. Bob, totally against it. He knew what was going to happen. He knew the 13th step was going to be created. You know, He knew it, right? Who sponsored the first woman in AA? Dr. Bob. Right? What would the master do? Now I've got to start bouncing my actions, my thoughts, off of principles for the first time in my freaking life. I never did that. Alcohol gave me permission to violate principles. Then it gave me absolution later. I could drink away the guilt and the remorse and the shame. I don't have that now. I'm, I'm raw when I get here. I am flat out raw. <laughs> I, I'm going to read the promises real quick, and then I want to tell you a story. <laughs> It says, when we sincerely take this position, when we take that position where God is our director, he's the principal, we are the agent, we're no longer running the show. He's running the show. All sorts of remarkable things follow. We had a new employer being all-powerful. It provided what we needed if we kept close to him and performed his work well. There's a caveat there. There's a give and a take there. Right? He's going to do this for me, but I've got to do this for him. Right? Established on such a footing, we became less and less interested in ourselves, our little plans, our designs. More and more, we became interested in seeing what we could contribute to life. As we felt new power flow in, as we enjoyed peace of mind, as we discovered we could face life successfully, as we became conscious of his presence, we began to lose our fear of today, tomorrow, and hereafter. We were reborn. If we take that position. I don't have a clue what that position is. Not a clue. All right? Not a clue. You know what I hear when they're reading this? Charlie Brown's teacher, right? 
Because up in my head, I'm going, man, I got to get this restraining order dropped. You know, how am I going to get these charges dropped? Right? I need to get that freaking house back. Right? I don't know how I regain custody of my son. Right? This is the shit that's going through my head. I don't even hear you guys. Right? You need it. Anybody ever been to a meeting and you share? You ever been to one of those open, disgusting, or open depression? Me- I mean, open, dis- open discussion meeting, right? Where they got the who- who's got the problem meeting, right? Right? And and then it's Pat, and then I share everything that's going on in my life. That she's got a restraining order on me. I'm not allowed to see my son. They're taking custody of my son. They're suing me for assault and battery. And, and the original divorce decree, they're, they're, they're contesting that. And I dump all this stuff out in the room. And somebody has to say, you need to turn that over. What the F does that mean? Right? And I looked at him and said, no, I need an attorney. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know any good attorneys? Right? Because I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not even capable of that. You're talking about I'm not going to be able to handle I need to let that go. I need to let it go. Oh, my God. Are you kidding me? What, am I going to go to court without an attorney? I mean, somebody said, yeah. I had no idea what you were talking about. No idea what you were talking about. Dennis O., God rest his soul. Dennis used to come up to me all the time and say, hey, Dennis was a Chicago gangster, ex-gangster in AA. He had like 30 years at the time. And Dennis would say, this is the way he introduced himself to everybody. He said, hey, tough guy. How's your way working for you? you know? And then he would ask me, like, how's that house thing going there, Pat? And i go, oh, Dennis, man, I need to get that house back. I said, she's that bitch still wants the house man it's not even in her name it's in my name and she's in it with the kids and you know i need to get my house back and he'd look at me and said you're gonna lose that house and he'd walk away and i go thanks for the support dennis yeah and then see him again hey tough guy how's your way working what's up with that house anybody knows dennis or met dennis that's exactly what he'd say right so, i don't know dennis doesn't look like she's going to give it up. You know, I was the house. I am the house. It's what I worked for all my life was that house. That house was my identity. I am that house. He said, let me ask you something, tough guy. You're going to kick your children out of their bedrooms? You're going to make your mother leave the house that your children live in? Is that what you're going to do? He got me thinking. In my mind, I'm going, yeah, exactly what I'm going to do. <laughs> I'm going to help him get another place. You know, it's my house. That's, that's my thing. You know? I started, uh, it wasn't until my fourth step where I got some relief with that. You know? It wasn't until my fourth step. And I started putting stuff down on paper, and I started seeing the truth. And Dennis came up to me one day, and he said, How's that house going there, tough guy? And I said, Dennis, I don't give a shit about that house anymore. You know what he said? You're going to keep it. (laughs) the hell you guys come up with this shit? I mean, how does that happen, right? You know I'm still in that freaking house? She didn't want the house. She couldn't afford the house. She wanted an apartment. She wanted a way. She didn't even want the memories attached to that house. She was just pissing me off. Yeah. And it worked well. It worked well. 
And, and Dennis would say, you know, it finally hit me. Like, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to kick my kids out of the house. You know, I mean, how stupid is that? I didn't get it. What I didn't get, I'm in a meeting. I'm at the Fifth Chapter Club was in Lighthouse Point where I got sober. And the Fifth Chapter Club moved to Lauder Hill. And I was in a meeting in Lauder Hill. And I'm struggling with this third step. And, and by the way, here's what I heard from the fellowship when I would share that I'm struggling with the third step. Then you're not convinced that you're powerless. They would say, if you're not convinced of this step, if you're not getting the step you're on, you need to move backwards. Really? Show me where that's in the book somewhere. You know, I want to I see that. Because I was desperate. I was convinced. And I'm thinking, I don't know. I don't know. I'm sitting in a, a meeting at the Fifth Chapter Club, and Jim B. is doing the big book study. And Jim B.'s on the third step. And I, and I uh, got Jim after the meeting. I said, Jim, I can't get it. I cannot get this step. Now, I'm thinking i got to get this before I move on. Right? Just a misconception that the fellowship puts out there. Yeah. The program is, is this. Right? And Jim says, what's the next word after the third step prayer? Next. And then there's some words like at once after that. He said, you made a decision. The decision implies action, but you haven't taken any action yet. As soon as you put the pen to paper, you'll start to see what it means to turn your will and your life over to the care of God. He said, your decision is completed in step nine. In step three, you're simply making a decision to go on with the rest of the steps in, a, in, a, in order to turn your will and your life over to the care of God. You don't even have a clue how to do that. And he was right on the money. I didn't have a clue how to do it. You know? So his advice was, start your freaking fourth step. Put pen to paper, damn it. Yeah. And he was right. He was right. The third step, prayer, which I, which I thought was the third step. I never even read that paragraph before that I had read. I didn't know that that was actually the third step, that he's the principal, I am the agent, he's the, the director, I am the actor. He's running the show. I didn't even know that was the actual third step. This prayer just validates that new position that I'm going to take. How about we do the third step prayer together? God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with thee as he will. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, thy life, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. Validate the new position and move on. And obviously, a paragraph, one paragraph on possibly who we should do the third step prayer with. Obviously, our sponsor is the right choice. Spiritual advisor, whoever, by yourself. I don't, I don't know how important that is, you know. I don't, I don't even know how important it is to get on your knees. I know that, you know, you bend your knees, you bend your will, I get it. You know, it's, it's a commitment and all that. I mean, the important thing is, is that we put pen to paper. That's the important thing. You know, I don't know if I ever, I, and I do a third step prayer every time we, I do a fifth step with somebody, but I don't know if I actually ever got, I can't even remember if I got on my knees with Brian or not. You know, I, I really don't. It wasn't that relevant. What was relevant is putting pen to paper. Because the conversation is going to change again. But the words next, we launched on a course of vigorous action. Next step, the personal house cleaning, right? 
No, and then it's just something we've never attempted. Like, who would? Like, why, why would I do self-examination before I got here, right? Why would I look at me? Right? It says, though our decision was a vital, crucial step, it have little permanent effect unless at once. So that's the language of the book. Next, at once. After the third step, next, and at once. Followed by an effort to face and be rid of the things in ourselves which have been blocking us. Our liquor was but a symptom. We had to get down to causes and conditions. Alcohol was but a symptom. It is not the problem. Conversation's going to shift again. Bill's going to start talking about a spiritual disease, right? Mental, physical, behavioral, creating a spiritual issue. Right? I, I heard uh, Mark Houston do a talk. Uh, and uh, I, I, I didn't really understand what Bill was talking about, this spiritual disease, until Mark said, called it an internal condition. And I went, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly what that is. That's the torment that I feel. That's the torment I've felt since I, since I can remember, since I was five years old. Yeah. Constant torment. Unless I was medicated or taking myself out of my, myself somehow. Alcohol in any form. Alcohol in any form. And that could be spending, that could be driving a fast car, that could be taking my motorcycles and jumping over shit. That can be women. That could be any, all kind of, alcohol in any form. <laughs> anything to take me out of the way I feel. Anything to, to mask the way I'm feeling. And I heard him say he suffered from an internal condition. I go, oh yeah, that's exactly what I suffer from. Yeah. By the way, that's the only place you'll see the word disease in this book when Bill's referring to a spiritual disease. What's he saying? Unless we overcome this spiritual disease, we'll never overcome the mental and physical. We'll never stay stopped if we don't do something about this internal condition. It's impossible. It becomes about how long can you hold your breath, right? I mean, you see people come in the program and they either 90 days, or that seems to be the magic number, 90 and out, 90 and out. You know? Some can hold their breath for a year. Some even longer. You see them all over the room, right? How you doing? Hanging in there. Yeah. Yeah, hanging in there, man. Hanging in there. They got that wrinkled-ass forehead. Looking at you. How you doing? Hanging in there. Almost got another day. Called my sponsor three times today. It's my third meeting. You know, I think I'm going to get another 24. <laughs> What's Bill say? Living a life of quiet desperation. Yeah. Quiet, hanging in. Who wants to hang in there? I don't want hanging in there. I don't want white knuckle sobriety. I want freedom, man. I want free from this shit. I don't want to feel this. And I just got to be willing to believe that you guys are leading me in the right direction, just like I was willing to believe when Camper John said, get on your knees and ask God for help, and you'll get through the day, and I got through the day. And then I got through another one, and then I got through another one, and then I picked up a 30-day chip. I said, holy crap, there's something to this prayer stuff. I was second step before I was first step. I was second step before I even knew what the problem was. I shared with you guys, I didn't know for 90 days that this was a choice and control issue. I had no idea. I thought you were the program. I never heard the doctor's opinion my first 90 days in this program. To me, that's criminal. You'll probably never hear a meeting that I do that it's not mentioned. <laughs> you know, I just think that's... I mean, if you're the newcomer, what do you want to know? What the hell's wrong with me? Why can't I stay stopped? 
Why can't I control it? So there's a whole do. We're talking about spiritual sickness now. And Bill refers to three forms of spiritual sickness. There's probably more than three. But he says, we suffer from this spiritual sickness manifesting itself in anger and resentment, in fear, in guilt, remorse, and shame. Incorrect thinking, incorrect feelings, incorrect actions. All coming back to bite me in the ass. Creating conflict in my life. And my demands on everybody and everything has just put so much conflict in my life. And I need to eliminate that conflict. We talked about that in the second step where uh, one of the paragraphs that changed my life. Because I'm one of them guys that really has no definition of God. You know, I mean, I say he as a as convenience because he uses the word he in here. You know, I don't know if it's a he or an it or a she or I have no idea. You know, I, I'm energy. I love the definition pure energy. I think, uh, I think everything, well, we know that science tells us that everything on this planet is pure energy. You know? There's, there's no beginning and no end to energy. You can't create or destroy energy, which means that I'm everlasting. <laughs> it means I'm going to be around forever. Maybe not in this dimension. I don't know. You know? But uh, my idea of God is, is that, you know, is, is an infinite power of, and, and pure love, you know, pure mercy. But I love that paragraph. Deep down within every one of us is a fundamental idea of God. Deep down within every one of us. And it's hard to deny, right? Call it your conscience. Call it your soul. The part of you that knows that it knows. Call it common sense. Call it just knowing right from wrong. We all inherently know that. We all inherently have that. Unless you're a sociopath, then maybe not. I think my father was a sociopath. And now it's time... You know, I have everything I need when I get here, and now it's time. Let me remove the things that are blocking me from that source. You know, I know there's a God within. I have a conscience. I need to remove what's blocking me, and these are the things that are blocking me from that sunlight. And I love the, uh, the genius of the business inventory is that, that Bill's talking about a business compared to a personal inventory, right? We have a stock room full of damaged freaking goods, right? You ain't going to make any money with damaged shit. Right? You, can't, you have nothing to sell. Right? We've got to take an inventory, see what's damaged, get rid of the damaged stuff, bring new stuff in. Right? I love that analogy. I think it's awesome. Yeah. I need to get rid of this damaged thinking. It's creating this damaged, this wrong behavior. It's creating this spiritual issue, this internal condition that I can't freaking live with. And the first one we address is, is resentment. It's the number one offender, he calls it. Yeah. Well, I love that. He says it's the number one offender, and then he says fear is the underlying corroding thread behind it all. Right? I think even my resentments are fear-driven. Yeah. Everything's fear-driven to me. I'm not going to get what I want. I'm going to lose what I got. You're going to find out who I really am. Yeah. That shit's going to happen again. That stuff's going to happen in the future. Yeah. I'm a prognosticator, man. <laughs> I have an imagination. An imagination. Everything's fear-driven for me. But resentment, you know, to, to, to replay, to constantly replay the events, you know. Real or imagined. People hurt me, real or imagined. Situations, real or imagined. I take them where I want to go, and I keep replaying them over and over and over again in my head, and they control my life. Somebody hurts me, and they move on with life. 
they may not even know what they said was hurtful. It might, it might not have been. It might just be the way I took it. It might just have been the mood that I was in when they said it. Real or imagined. And I'll replay that shit until they were attempting to murder me by the end of the day. You know, when I tell that story, I was just standing there and I was minding my own business and they came along and bam, took advantage of me. Yeah. Convince you guys, convince, convince the group conscience <laughs> that I was right and she was wrong and then get behind me and help me plan how I'm going to get even. How I'm going to pay them back. They moved on. They don't even know that I'm going through. I just ruined a day or a week or a month or my life. Because I can't let it go. Can't let it go. I've resented dead people. Anybody else resent that? I mean, they're not even on the planet anymore. Right? And I'm pissed off at them still. Running my life. Creating conflict. I've got to eliminate conflict. When I started this resentment inventory is where the miracle started to take place in my life. All I needed to get some relief was to put that damn pen to paper. I had no idea that that was going to happen. I mean, Jim B., best advice I ever got, just put the pen to paper, man. Just write one word. List it, top to bottom. And anybody else have that ADD thing going on like I do? Like you read a page, you don't know what you just read? Anybody do that? Like you could read a chapter and not have a clue what you just read? Like somebody just talked to you for 15 minutes and somebody asked you what their name was, you have no idea, right? I mean, that's me, right? I don't know. I don't, I don't even know what we just talked about, you know, or what you talked about. <laughs> that's what happens here. The directions are so simple and so quick. All the directions for the fourth step are in one paragraph. And if you've got that ADD thing going on like me, you miss them. You miss them. And what happens? You go over to your fifth step and it says, we tell our life story, and then you torture your sponsor with your life story. You write an essay. Right? And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that down the road. But when we're trying to get sober, your life story, 95% of which, by the way, has nothing to do with your alcoholism, conveniently covers up the 5% that has everything to do with your alcoholism. Simple. In dealing with resentments, we set them on paper. We listed people, institution, principles who we were angry. Listed, top to bottom. A list goes top to bottom. Why do we do it that way? Because we don't want to relive the event. We want to inventory the events. We don't want to keep changing our minds. We don't want to relive it. Who am I pissed off at? Pissed off at my ex. Pissed off at the police, the IRS, the judge, her attorney. My father. It goes on, but we'll stop there. And the next instruction, why? Why am I pissed off? Why am I angry? She took the house. She had me arrested. I have to pay child support. I got to pay for an apartment and my house. The list goes on. (laughs) The police, they arrested me. The IRS, they're taking my money, attached my bank account. (laughs) Later in another column, I realized it was their money, not mine. (laughs) They they wanted their money, not my money. (laughs) If you pay your taxes, they don't come after you. Her attorney, 
I have to pay for her attorney bills, you know, taking me to court. My father left when I was five, assaulted my mother in front of us kids, never paid any child support. Just simple notes, because we're going to tell the story later. And then Bill asked us what part of self was affected, right? Which instincts were affected? We're going back to these, everything's about these damn instincts, man. Everything's about these God-given instincts that I've taken beyond what God intended them to be, right? Has this affected my social instinct, my security instinct, or my sex instinct? And in most cases, all of them. In most cases, all of them. To get clear on how I'm affected and why I'm pissed off. You know, what becomes really clear right away is that it isn't even who did what. It's how I was affected. <laughs> it's whatever, anybody could have done what they done, and, and it was about me. That's why I'm retaliating, because... I was affected negatively. What I didn't realize what was going to happen in the next two columns was that I was going to realize that I was the one bringing out the worst in them. That I was the one instituting uh, the, the issue. I was the one that started the ball rolling. I mean, I think I got... I got into the, the four. They only show a three-column inventory in the book, but it's clear it's five-column or four-column. Some people use four-column. It's a four- or five-column inventory because it goes to the next page. It says, referring to our list again, you know, putting out of our minds what they did. Right? Like, like they didn't even, let's, let's, let's say that they didn't even play a part. Let's not even recognize the part they live. They play. Because we're taking our inventory, not theirs. So far, we've taken theirs in the first three, right? <laughs> when you really look at it, we took their inventory. We didn't take ours. We say it's our inventory, but we don't take ours till the last two columns. What did I do to set this ball rolling? My God, the light went off. I assaulted my wife in front of my kids. I wasn't faithful. I was drunk all the freaking time. I didn't come home for nights at a time. The police, they were called to the scene. It wasn't, let's go get Pat. You know, there was a 911 call. They were responding to the call. What did I do to set the ball rolling? I assaulted my wife. They were doing their job. Her attorney was doing his job. What would I have done? That's a question to ask yourself. You know, how would, what would I have done had the same thing happened to me? Exactly what she did. Exactly what she did. The IRS was, was a no-brainer. Pay your taxes, they don't come after you. Right? My father was tricky. My father was tricky. You know, there's, there's cases where children are abused by adults. There's, there's cases where adults take advantage of children. There are cases like in mine where I was just a victim of circumstances. You know, uh, my dad was a kid with kids. You know, I became a kid with kids. You know, and uh, and I don't need to own the behavior, his behavior, or condone it, but I need to own the resentment. I need to own the resentment. And I'm going to deal with that resentment later on when it comes to forgiveness. How free do I want to be? Do I want to be free or not? 
I'll deal with that down the road. But it wasn't hard. When I looked at why I was mad at him, I became him. I became my freaking father. I hated my father for assaulting my mother in front of us kids. Do you know how I got here? I knocked my freaking wife down in front of my two kids. They'll never lose that picture, as I won't. Now, I used to tell that story like it happened every night. I don't think it happened every night. I like to tell that story like that. He was a violent guy. There was a lot of yelling and screaming in my house when I was a kid. You know what? There was a lot of yelling and screaming in my house when my kids were kids. You start to understand how life can throw you a curveball and you end up being somebody you never planned on being. But here's the cool thing. I was given some tools in this step called prayer. (laughs) Who would have thunk it? That if I could pray for the people that I hate or dislike or have conflict with, that I would find relief. Bill talks about, let's look at this from a different angle. This is where the spiritual awakening started for me. This is where the spiritual experience came to light for me. This is where my journey really started. Where I started to get some relief. Because like it or not, I started to pray for these people. And the book says, treat them as you would a sick person, as we are. I'm sick, maybe they're sick too. I had shit happen when I was a kid that pisses me off. Maybe they did too. Maybe they got stuff going on in their life that I know nothing about. And I want to tell you something. Everybody sitting here has something going on in their life that I know nothing about. So what right do I have to judge any of you on your behavior? Maybe they were reacting to me. Imagine that. Because I can bring out the worst in people. I got this sarcastic gene that's brutal. Just brutal. Nobody can out-sarcasm me, man. I think it's a positive trait. My wife does not. I think it's funny. You know what it is? It's humor with a knife. I'll cut you to pieces, and I'll think it, and we'll make it funny. We'll make it funny. And then when you're pissed off, I'll just tell you I was only kidding. (laughs) Couldn't you tell? So I start to pray for these people. I could not get over my ex-wife. I mean, my ex had me pissed, man. He had me pissed. As much as I was starting to surrender the material, emotionally I was still, I, I was a failure. Absolute failure. And I'm going to be alone the rest of my life. It's still about me. It was about me for a long time in sobriety. I'm going to be alone the rest of my life. I'm never going to find anybody. I'm in AA. I can't go out and find anybody. No, where am I going to, where am I going to find somebody? They're all sick people here. I saw a few people that I thought I liked, and then I heard them share, and I went, oh, my God. <laughs> Selfish and self-centered still. You know what I mean? Still. still about, I don't want to be alone. I, I would settle for dysfunctional than rather than be alone. I'll take not so bad. I'll settle. I've settled all my life. I didn't even know what, 
I didn't know if I was in love or afraid of being alone. I didn't know that for years. It took a second divorce for me to figure that out. That I'm, I'm codependent. I'm dependent on somebody else to be happy. I'm depending on the outside fixing the inside. It's been my whole life. I'm dependent on you're going to complete me. It's going to complete me. The car, the jewelry, the person, the job. If I could just get the outside to work, I'll be happy. Damn, was I wrong. This is just the opposite. So I, mean, I'm, so I can't get over this resentment against my wife. If somebody tells me to go back in the back of the book and, and read a, a story called Freedom from Bondage. Right? And there's this prayer on 551. Or 552, I think it is. And I'm, I, I'm not going to, we're running out of time, so I'm just going to read something real quick. And so... First off, I open up the book, and it's a woman. And I'm not reading that freaking story. (laughs) What does she know about me? So it's about a lady who has a resentment against her mother, right? And she's blaming her mother for everything. Blaming her mother for her alcoholism, like I did my father, right? Blaming her for my my alcoholism, my lack of success, my fears, right? My lack of support through life. You know, not everything was an experiment for me. I never had the birds and the bees conversation. It was everything was an experiment, you know, try to figure it out. And, and this is, she, she read an article in Reader's Digest, and this is what the article says. If you have a resentment you want to be free of, if you pray for that person or thing you resent, you'll be free. If you ask in prayer for everything you want for yourself to be given to them, you'll be free. Ask for their health, their prosperity, their happiness, and you'll be free. Even when you don't really want it for them, and your prayers are only words and you don't mean it, go ahead and do it anyway. Do it every day for two weeks. And you'll find that you've come to mean it and want it for them. And you'll realize that where you used to feel bitterness and resentment and hatred, you will now feel compassionate, understanding, and love. And I started praying for my ex. And it started out with, give her what she deserves, God. And you know what? Within that two weeks, and I don't know when it was, whether it was five days, six days, seven days, nine days, I don't know when it was. But the prayer changed to, let her be happy even if I'm not part of her life. It dawned on me, why would I want the mother of my children to be miserable? Why would I want that? Why would I wish that on my kids, if nothing else? And I started to mean it. I started praying for her happiness. And I was free. I got free from it. And And we developed a relationship. I mean, the good news is we were married, remarried two years into the program. But... There's bad news after that, but <laughs> but it was good for a while. <laughs> but I'm a settler, you know what I mean? I'm a settler. I, you know, I'll take what I know. I'll take what's comfortable, rather than 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 use than than feel any pain and move forward, you know, or be alone and move forward. So, back to Bill's business analogy, right? I've, I've now overcome the resentments. I have a tool to overcome the, pr- the resentments. It's called prayer. I'm praying for their happiness. And a third of my mind now is emptied of the resentments, and the light starts to shine. Right? Right? God enters. And instead of resentment, I'm feeling love and tolerance and patience and understanding for people. Instead of being pissed off, I'm starting to look at it differently. I'm starting, I wonder what's going on in their life to make them such a miserable bastard. You know what I mean? 
right? I mean, you start to just look at it from a different angle, right? When the waitress throws the menu on the table, you go, boy, I wonder what's going on in her day. I wonder what's happened, you know? Maybe we'll ask her what's going on with her. You know, why is she so miserable? You know, one waitress we asked at Bonefish over here in Margate, the lady sat down and talked to us for like 10 minutes, right? Best service I ever got. Instead of going to the manager, I asked her if she was okay. That's looking at life from a different angle. That's a spiritual experience. That's a spiritual awakening. That's a personality change sufficient to recover from alcoholism. That's a change in ideas, attitudes, and emotions that are replaced by a whole new set of conceptions. I started to feel some freedom. I want to move on. Right? When we get results, I want to move on. Thanks for letting me be here, and I will get back to it tomorrow. All right, let's thank Pat one more time. Now it's time for the secretary report. Hi, my name is James, and I'm the recovered alcoholic secretary. In uh, keeping with the seven tradition, which states every group shall be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions, the baskets are now going around. Um, I've asked Gloria to read the recovered statement. We read this notice to explain why many people in this group identify as recovered rather than recovering and what it exactly means to be recovered. Please welcome Gloria. Covered. We are not cured of alcoholism. Covered, but not cured. That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured the 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 alert, <laughs> the allergic, I can't even say the word. Thank you. The allergy reaction to alcohol will remain with us for a lifetime, but we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in the mind, in his mind, rather than in his body. We are now sane where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered. <laughs> If you show up early again, I promise I won't pick you, Gloria. But, but you did great. Thank you. Um, 1940s style big book sponsorship from forward to second edition, Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, 50% got sober at once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some relapses. And among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, come to believe, and experience is that God has not changed over time. And neither should the sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistic above suggests a 75-plus percent success rate. Can I get a show of recovered alcoholics out there? That's such a large group tonight. Um, Is there anyone that needs a sponsor that's here? I promise I won't make you stand. Oh, we got one up in the front. Why don't you stick around after the meeting, okay? Um, Let me see. Oh, we have some announcements. Uh, the Broward County Intergroup, um, the office hours and times are there. They sell uh, medallions, uh, a literature. They have the helpline that's there at the bottom. And I believe they have Sunday hours now, right? Do you have a slide for that still? There we go. Saturdays. I'm sorry. Oh, whoa, whoa. Go back. I think it's 12 to 4 or something like that. Uh, volunteer opportunities. What is it? 10 to 2. 10 to 2. Volunteer opportunities. We have a a picnic, I believe, on October 24th. Yep, this Sunday uh, from 11 to 4. There's some... What? 
Pat Rogan has tickets. Um, and there's flyers in the back if you want to take one and pass it along. I think that's it. Oh, BCIC. Do we have any BCIC representatives here tonight? Nope. Okay. Uh, they meet at the 12 Step House uh, every second Saturday um, if you want to pick up a commitment to go into jails and institutions. Uh, please join us Monday night's Big Book study meeting where the Big Book comes alive. Fellowships at 6.30. Big Book study starts at 7.15. We have CDs, mugs, large print Big Books, Little Red Book, and Big Book dictionaries for sale in the back. And we meet every Thursday starting promptly at 7.15. We'll see you next week. We have tonight's session and all past speaker podcasts online for free at alcoholicsandgod.org. I'd like to invite everyone to our Monday night big book study. Those who wish to thank the speaker, please line up down the center aisle. Let's close with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, Our Father, See you all Monday or next Thursday. It doesn't matter.
Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go. See the light. 
blessings when I go to sleep at night and I dream now. song is. God bless. I love you, Mike Chase. Bye. I think you know this one, don't you?